Women Bridging the Gap is a freewheeling conversation podcast co-hosted by myself, Lenya Wilson, a black woman, and Alexandra Titalia, a white woman. So I only went for an hour today so, because, I, first of all, I was so excited, Steph, that you were coming on. I couldn't sleep. I I am the novice here, Stephanie. Do you go by Steph or Stephanie? Either. Steph but normally. I, mean, I, I go by Stephanie if I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I usually, I go by Alex or Alexandra, but I do prefer Alexandra professionally, but wow. also because I'm in trouble. So it's cool <laughs> when people say Alexandra, I'm like, fuck, am I in trouble again? And then I have to remember <laughs> that I asked to be called Alexandra. <laughs> but I, Lenya is such a fan that I'm gonna, just, I'm gonna get a chance to see Lenya totally descend into fangirl <laughs> today. Well, what oh I God, love my most- My first fangirl. Well, well, Steph, what I love most about your whole journey, right? Because I, I think I started watching from very early on your YouTube channel. But what I really love is how you've been able to get on to Racing House and now you have the joint one with all the other girls. What is that one called yeah, again? F-Series. F-Series, yeah. And the thing is, you see so little women in motorsport, even doing the commentating. You know what I mean? There's Rosanna at F1. I think there's an Italian, there's an Italian woman. And then some of the other ones I find really upsetting because they just kind of like flirt with the drivers and it's all about yeah. their crushes. And it's, you know, I understand, well, you know, there's only really one that's good looking or maybe two, but the, my point is- Which I ones under- are you talking about? <laughs> Spill the tea. <laughs> For me as an old lady, I, I mean, you know, they're, they're not the greatest looking guys. And from what I understand, they're not all they're not easy to be around or to live with. They're very yeah. consumed and and rightly so because if they lose focus for a moment they could die. I mean, you know, look at well Roman's focus yeah. is what actually kept him alive during that horrific car accident. So, you know what I mean? I understand that, but it's just, but it's you know, you don't have to I you don't have to flirt with them as a way of getting an interview. Yeah. So, I with you. I'm with you. Uh, yes, and way. you're so matter of fact. You have all this great knowledge, and then you're a woman of color. That is like something that is so missing from the sport. All right, yeah, let's that's slow, actually. Oh let's God, slow okay. down. Let's slow down. Let's introduce you. Like so, yes. uh, listeners, this is Stephanie Wentworth, and uh, tell us what you what you do, and then Lenya can talk about all how she found you because she's so <laughs> Formula One orient, oriented. <laughs> I'm Steph and I run a Formula One YouTube channel. Yeah, that's it. There's not much to me. That's basically, that's... So we have so much to say, but so for those of us who are listening, who might not even know, like Formula One is a motorsport. It's an international Mm -hmm. motorsport. Is that true? Yes. All over the world. Yeah. An international sport. It's really interesting. The, The calendar for next year, Steph, what do you think? I think there's too many races. They're all over the world next year. So this year, obviously, with or last year, sorry, 2020, with COVID, they were mostly in Europe and the Middle East because, you know, to keep the bubble tight, 
with Formula One. But normally, Alex, they have a race in the United States in Texas. So, and I told you that's one of the ones that we've never been to a race stuff. So my yeah, husband and I, yeah, well, my husband and I are thinking about it, but it's so expensive. Yeah. Oh my God. Just, you know, your standard tickets are so, you know, unbelievably expensive, mm-hmm. but I guess Formula One is an expensive sport. How did you get into it? So uh, Formula One has been a part of our family, like household for so many years. And so I was exposed to it from a really young age, but I honestly, I did not care for it whatsoever. I was, my dad was there watching on a Sunday. He was like, you come in to watch? I'm like, no, it's cars going around in the circle. I'm not interested. I'm not having it. So I just, I just didn't really pay attention. And then when I turned like 11, 12, that was, that was like the 2011, 2012 season. So that those were like really interesting for me and I really remember them even though I didn't pay a lot of attention and then I actively got into it in about 2017 2018 because I was going off to uni and I really wanted to connect with my dad because I'm a total mommy's girl but I absolutely adore my dad and I always wanted there to be a reason for me to call him when I was away at uni so I started you know properly spending time with him before I went away watching all the races like talking to him about it and now I'm a way bigger fan than he ever was (laughs) wow But I mean, these last couple of years with the Drive to Survive series and all the changes has really made Formula One so much more exciting. I too was not a a huge fan. My husband is a fan. He's been a fan all, you know, for a very long time. He's a Michael Schumacher fan. So that's how long he's been watching. And as a way of us, you know, just kind of having a moment together, I started watching as well because I found the whole drama exciting. Now I like a different part of Formula One than he, he likes cars and stuff like that. I like all the behind the scenes stuff. What do you mean by behind the scenes? Like the drama of the stuff or the fixing the cars? What do you mean by behind the scenes in Formula One? Well, the fixing of the cars is the drama. So when like this year, who was it that crashed their car going into the lane? (laughs) And let me tell you something about those Honda mechanics. They had the car ready to go when the start was happening. That was insane. Those guys deserve all the raises. Because they, I couldn't believe it. He crashed the car getting into, you know, so they, when they're going into the, the start lane, Max, ugh, he's not my favorite. Literally, the race hadn't even started yet. And you're <laughs> thinking, what? What? This chaos is happening already. But what was the one, where was the race last year where they had the stop, start, stop, start, 40,000, <laughs> you know, the big crash in the first <laughs> like, there's was like it, so it many. Imola. I know it wasn't Magello. 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 Yeah. Magello. I was like, what is going on here? This is the longest race I have ever watched because they had to stop the race. Yeah. They had a red flag and they literally had to stop the race to clear the debris. Mm-hmm. There were how many cars? I think it was four cars. It was like Valtteri slowing everybody down, causing yeah. this massive accident. And then I love in the press conference, this is the drama, Alex, that I'm talking right. about. In the press conference, he's like, I did nothing wrong. I'm like, you need to lose your damn job. You don't deserve that seat. Say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> you don't deserve that seat. Not when George Russell is out there laughing Fox. your ass. <laughs> oh, God. If they ever listened to this, I would be thrown off the job. 
Not that you see so many women on the track anyway. Well, so talk to me about, so, so Stephanie, actually like you are a woman of color working under the umbrella of this. How does it feel to be breaking down that barrier? Does it feel like you're breaking down a barrier or do you just feel like you're just doing you and barriers are falling? I don't know. That's an interesting one because I started my channel partly because I didn't see anyone doing this who looked like me. So the only black YouTuber at the time was Cranky Yankee F1. And I loved him and I was like, but he didn't really show his face on camera all that often. So I was like, okay, well, what about the women? Because I know there will be, you know, little girls like me, you know, 12 or 13 and they can't see themselves in the media representation in Formula mm-hmm. One because it's so whitewashed and they can't see themselves represented in the drivers because we don't have any female drivers. So now I'm a representation of them in the world of Formula One or the world of motorsport that they can then, you know, see themselves in me. And that was kind of like the goal when I started out my channel. I just wanted to be able to, you know, educate other people and prove that, you know, people do watch Formula One who look like me and women, women of color, we are completely valid in uh, the world of Formula One and, you know, the world of motorsport. So I don't know if barriers are coming down yet, but hopefully we'll be able to, you know, see clearly when the barriers are fully down. Right. But you do have a, you do, there are, there is one driver of color now, right? Isn't that true? Yeah. I only got one. For a while. Lewis Hamilton, who is now Sir Lewis, he's been knighted, is the greatest driver of all time, the GOAT. And it is undisputed. And if anybody has anything to say about that, we are, we're going to fight. But (laughs) because he's won seven world champions. I want to see that. I want to see that fight. Yeah. You know, so he's the great, but, and, and he's a man of color. And I remember when he won, I can't remember which race it was last year, but he brought Stephanie Travers, who is a black woman mechanic onto the podium with him. And that was the first time in the history of formula one that they had a black woman on the podium. And to me, that was like, I wanted to cry kind of moments, you know, because we don't see ourselves represented in that kind of way ever in Formula One. And the gravity of that moment seemed to have been lost because it wasn't talked about in any news outlets. It's just not, it's just, it just seems like it it was just, you know, any other Formula One moment. And and it's not, it was, to me, it was like, it was one of those things I will always remember watching Formula One is seeing her on the podium and and getting showered with champagne by both I think was Valtteri on the podium that I think so yeah yeah I mean isn't it always Valtteri Max and Lewis yeah Lewis but who are those three people who are those three people so the Mercedes guys the Mercedes are the most dominant team on the grid at the moment and they're number one and number two drivers every team has two drivers the number one is Lewis Hamilton, the greatest of all time, uh, and Valtteri Bottas, not the greatest of any time. <laughs> and so those are the two. And then Max Verstappen is the number, the lead driver for Red Bull Racing, which is the number two team on the grid. But they have just made a very interesting change. See, this is the background gossip-like stuff. They now have a Hispanic, he's from Mexico, driver starting on the grid with him 
next year. And I mean, this year, I think this is going to be the most fantastic lineup. Oh, I agree. Sergio and Max. I think we're going to see some real changes. I mean, 2020 was the year where you saw the most, the, the, the most diverse amount of winners on, on ever. Yeah. Normally it's always like Mercedes and Red Bull, Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari. You know, it's always those three. And this year we got to see the greatest moment in Imola with Pierre Gasly winning the Grand Prix, this really young kid who, if you ever watch Drive to Survive, his story, you know, the way Red Bull just, oh. Yeah, that was yeah. an incredible moment. Monza is honestly one of the highlights. That's of- right, Monza, not Maja- yeah, Monza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Monza is just a highlight because this Pierre, he was at the top Red Bull team and then he was demoted because he couldn't keep up with Max, who is this insane talent. And he's, really great he can rival Lewis Hamilton even in a you know much worse car so he's the closest guy to him and the fact that Pierre then was demoted back to a much lower team and then could come back and win a race at that lower team it's just incredible I think there's so many inspiring stories in Formula One and that's one of them that I I just love there was just so much hope and happy and good moments in the 2020 season I wonder what was your favorite moment this year Like my moment, like seriously, was seeing Stephanie on the podium. Like that to me will always hands down be one of the greatest moments of the 2020 season. Yeah, that was right at the beginning as well. I think that was Styria. So like the second race of the season. Yeah, that was absolutely iconic. And I love that. And then in the weeks that followed, you guys must not have had it, but I actually got a little bit of quite a lot of information come out about her and Sky Sports did a feature on her and a couple of people that I knew did like interviews with her so she did get her moment in the limelight or that's what I maybe it was because I was specifically looking for it because I didn't want to lose I didn't want to lose sight of her so I specifically went out looking for content surrounded by her and I was like okay somebody's not putting out content I'm gonna find that I'm gonna make this content myself but the content's out there you just gotta find it I'll send it to you I'll find it for you but yeah I think my moment had to be the Sakir Grand Prix just because it was George Russell is such a talent and I love him he's one of my favorite drivers and but Checo as well I have never been a fan of Checo ever I don't like him and I think it's because I was an Ocon fan when they were teammates and so everything that was going on with them I just wasn't a fan of Sergio but this year I've been his fiercest advocate for him to stay on the grid because I just think he belongs to he belongs here and he shouldn't have been yeah exactly so I've been his fiercest advocate right now I think Racing Point made a huge mistake but I'm really glad he's got this opportunity with Red Bull and for him to then go and take that win even though I wanted it to be George uh, for him to go and take that win as well that was super super special and yeah I just think that whole weekend was was great and also can't forget watching the Bahrain Grand Prix and actually seeing Roman get out of that car was honestly the biggest sigh of relief I think collectively yeah. <laughs> yeah the whole world breathed a massive sigh of relief as soon as we saw him get out of that car and yeah it just reminds you of how terrifying this sport is but it, that was such a brilliant moment because I was there thinking oh my gosh he's got three kids like mm-hmm. it's, it's right before Christmas mm-hmm. no this can't happen I it was terrifying but seeing him get out was actually was an amazing moment and you know and I don't like Roman as he's he's <gasps> 
he's um I'm happy he's alive, don't get me wrong. But he, <laughs> you know, he's a bit of a whinging, whining, you know, you know, anytime <laughs> I would see um you know, an interview with him, I'm just like, oh God, shut up. But I'm happy that he's, I'm happy that he made it out because that was one of the most terrifying things. I texted Alex yeah, right yeah. after going, oh my God. Because that was the first time my husband and I woke up and watched the race live. Normally we tape, we watch it after Jeez. the fact on F1 because we have F1 TV. And it's, you know, European races are in the middle of the night for us sometimes. So it's just, yeah. you know, but so we woke up, I think it was like four in the morning and we watched the race live and that happens in the first seconds of the race. And I'm just going, oh, I, you know, and it just, it was too much. It was too much. And then the news, I, I could believe it. It made CNN here in America. I love CNN. <laughs> it made CNN here in America. <laughs> I am the biggest CNN simp. I, I tell you, when the election was going on in November, I had CNN on 24-7. I was like, John King, you come up here with your magic whiteboard. I love it. <laughs> oh my God, I, I love John King. He's my favorite CNN um, newscaster. John King, I watch his show. I will stop what I'm doing to watch his show because there's something about the way he presents the news. You know, there's something about it. But CNN has some great newscasters. They're, yeah. they're, they're, um, because the people who are the newscasters started out being reporters. So they report differently, I think. I don't know. That's my feeling. Like, I, it doesn't seem to me like they're you know, as partisan as like MSNBC. I think that's true. That is totally true. Yeah. CNN is more down the line. straight down the line yeah. and still good reporting. I agree. I agree. I mean, I'm a huge BBC fan, so that's just my. Oh yeah. I won't even watch the BBC. If I'm watching <laughs> news, I will be watching American news. <laughs> that's so funny. I, I go over the pond for my news and my television. So oh. Yeah, Alex is a huge British drama fan. I'm an Anglophile on, I think, next level Anglophile. Like, You're English at heart. I really, I actually, when I went to, it wasn't my first time, but Eric and I spent two months. We walked, we did the Dales Way. We walked across England and then we just spent a lot of time there. And I cried when we got there, because I really did feel like I was coming home. Like I've gone to Italy. Oh. I've tried to, I've been to Sicily to the motherland to have that connection, but it's in England where I was like, ancestrally, I feel, I mean, I want to move there. I mean, it, I have been wanting to move there most of my life. So we'll see, but yeah, do it, do it. Well, I don't know, Brexit, you know, I'll be honest, like America is stupid, but then I look at, well, there's Brexit. So <laughs> yeah, well, to be fair, we're looking at, we're looking at you thinking, yeah, we've got Brexit, but like, look at who's your president right now. So don't come Ab for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ab you know what? We have to take that one. We have to take that one because Lord, <laughs> it's so true. Go and we are all on edge. <laughs> I was in Malawi when Brexit like first started, and I just and I was friends with another volunteer at the school. And Sam is uh, 
God, he's like this amazing 19-year-old phenom. And I mean, volunteering in Malawi at 19. I mean, he's just this amazing guy. But I just remember him like sharing the news and he's, oh, my country. And then not a year later, like when we like, when Trump came in, he's, well, mm, mm, at least we're not you. Yeah. (laughs) You you know, now we're even, but uh, absolutely. What do you do on your YouTube channel? I have to admit complete ignorance. Lenya's, you have to watch, you have to do this. And I'm going to be a Formula One fan. This is it for One me. way or another. One way or another. Oh, okay. All About Steph One is the name of my channel, which is funny because my name is Steph and I talk about F1. So that's where the funny comes in. All About Steph One, me. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I basically just talk about Formula One stuff and stuff that interests me. So something that was really interesting to me a couple of months ago was when is Formula One going to die? And I literally, that was the title of the video. When will Formula One die? (laughs) And the the picture of the thumbnail is like Formula One on a grave. It's me in a coffin about (laughs) Formula One dying. And I was so dramatic about it. I was like, you know what? We're just going to go all out. But yeah, I just talk about things that interest me, talk about how the racing is going. I just think it's important for me to get my face out there and talk about, you know, stuff that's important. And because I have, well, I think I've got a a good knowledge and I'm hoping that comes across, but then it shows that women, we are intelligent. We are capable of forming smart and thought out opinions on Formula One. And we're capable of, you know, this knowledge that, men seem to think that we're not capable of or some I shouldn't lump all of them into that because there is a great open community of so many people in Formula One and there's just a slight few that are uh, not open to you know women being equal to men and you know being able to enjoy this sport as much but yeah that's basically my point so it doesn't really matter what I'm talking about I just kind of get an idea and I roll with it yeah that's basically it (laughs) I, I love your, your episode. She did an episode on the trophies. I did. Okay. <laughs> and that one was, you know, I never thought about it until you did the episode. Yeah. About like how, because, you know, these guys, they're like, basically, this is what they get. I mean, they make a lot of money, but they get this trophy and this is what they, you know, this is, I won the race. And some of them are so shit. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> They, they, they look like they some of them look like the same <laughs> <laughs> so they have these things called sponsorship trophies and obviously formula one's a massive sponsor sport so there are certain grand prix are sponsored by certain things so like heineken is a massive sponsor or emirates and so heineken has this trophy and it's basically if a grand prix is sponsored by heineken you're going to have this trophy and it's like a star it's actually quite nice do you know what i don't hate it but these get repeated at several Grand Prix. So you can have three of the same different trophies and it's, well, shouldn't everyone have their own trophy for each race? Like why? Imagine if you win all three of the Heineken races and then you've got three of the exact same trophies. Like, no, thank you. Can I get a bit more creativity up in here? I've done all the work. I've gone driving around for two hours. Can you not give me a better trophy? (laughs) I like, and think about the race when Hamilton won it with three wheels on his car because one of his tires blows out. Literally, Alex, one of the tires blows out. He nearly lost that race to Max, but he, you know, Lewis Hamilton, the GOAT, 
won the race. He had three wheels. And the, I mean, that trophy was nice, but can you imagine if he had gotten a piece of crap trophy for that? <laughs> no, I would have walked off. I'd have been like, no, I'm not having it. <laughs> I have to give it to Lewis because he put up with a lot of crap this year. He wore the t-shirt about Brianna Taylor and then the governing body for Formula One kind of went after him. Wow. You know, and he's been really instrumental in bringing an end racism campaign to Formula One, trying to bring more people of color into the sport and not just drivers, but behind the scenes as well. He has a commission on it. And and so we might actually see more people of color. I like that the uh, mechanic, the black mechanic with the dreadlocks for Red Bull gets a lot of airtime. I've never seen him. Oh yeah. He gets a lot of airtime. Maybe it's because I don't pay enough attention at the beginning of races. Anytime, yeah, you got to look anytime they like go into the garage. He's the one that they're always putting, like that they have, you know, uh, the face, like, and he's always so oh. dramatic. You know, I will keep a lookout. <laughs> I'm excited. Do you know what? I'm excited to see this guy now. I'll yeah. keep a lookout. Oh, I'm going to have to wait ages now. I've got three months. Well, the Drive to Survive docu- doco series sh- starts what, end of February? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure that because they always seem to feature his face. You know, I think the drive to survive people also notice that there is a uh, lack of diversity amongst the sport. Yeah, I'd like to see them showcase because I know that there will be people behind the scenes as well. And I know Mm -hmm. Mercedes is the only one that's released its diversity quota. So I think only 3% of its staff are of ethnic minorities, which Mm -hmm. is like tiny. But I know that Mercedes is probably the team that's doing the absolute most. So in comparison to someone like Haas, Uh, do they even hire people of color I mean not that they're doing it on purpose I'm not saying that but it's difficult to showcase and I would want to see more showcasing of these people that do exist in the paddock in whatever role they have well there is a photographer for Formula One called Kim Illman he's from Australia yes I love him yes so you know his YouTube channel and he did a video on the women of F1, which I thought was really great. Totally did not have Stephanie Travers on there. Yeah. And so I made a comment about it on the comment section of his video. And I somebody came for me. <laughs> somebody came for me. And they were like, that race has nothing to do with sport and that I should get a degree in um, engineering and then, and or something like that, if I want to be a part of the sport. Well, you don't come for me. You don't come for me, sweetie. No, so I went for him. <laughs> and yes! I know that race permeates everything. And maybe he should Absolutely. listen to my Women Bridging the Gap podcast and then shut the fuck up. So- ah, Yes, sis! <laughs> But I thought it was interesting that, you know, because I look back then after that moment, I looked back at a lot of the videos that Kim has done and I realized there's no, there's hardly any black people in the sport. So it's really hard, but he did do an entire video on Lewis. And then I watched a video of a, a, a black newscaster doing a, a video with Lewis. And he said, I'm the only black person other than you on the set here, you know, and it was just really interesting to hear, to hear the people talk about, to hear him talk about it and to hear Lewis talk about it, because I think it must be very lonely 
And he's also the only driver with a female, a female physio, physio coach. Yeah. You know? Do you follow the Lewis and Angela? Um, yeah, I love Angela. Yeah, She's I great. Love- I think they make such a great pairing. I think Lewis just has surrounded himself with a great team yeah. in terms of everyone that he's got around him. And that just kind of, you know, makes him even stronger. And I think that goes for, you know, anything that you do in life. As long as you've got good people around you, then you're capable of, you know, great things. But isn't it a testament to him that he has a female physio, that he's yes. the one that pushed for Stephanie Travers? You know, like he's the one pushing for the diversity. And mm-hmm. then Haas goes and hires Nikita Mazapan, who basically sexually assaults a woman on video. Oh my uh, goodness. Are you, tell me, explain that. Tell the story, because I don't know what you're talking about. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad, Alex. There's this driver. He's a Russian driver. He's young and he's violent he punched another driver in the face. He's young. He's, he was part of F2, which is like the, you know, the, I guess the learning series for F1. And he punched another F2 driver, Callum Islet in the face a couple of years ago. So that's the first incident. I mean, he's just a scumbag extraordinaire, but then the recently he gets hired for Haas, which is like one of the teams that on the grid, that's on the lowest point of the grid. You know what I mean? There's two teams that there's, they fight for the back of the grid. So there's the front of the grid, the winners, there's the middle section, which is the most exciting part of the race because yeah. those guys are so close together. They're the ones fighting for it. it and everybody's, oh, but they're fighting for third, but or, or third or fourth or fifth. But those are like the fights, you know, those are the ones where you see them like wheel to wheel. And that's the most exciting part of the grid, I have to tell you. And then there's the back. So Haas is at the back with Williams and the, so they're not the greatest team. They have the worst team principal who curses all the time. I mean, I curse all the time, but he curses as a way of motivation. He's just such a horrible person. Like his personality comes across really badly. I don't know what he's really, cause I don't know him, but. Right. But his persona is. His persona is revolting. So it made sense to me that they would hire the most revolting person on the grid which is this Nikita Mazepan. And then, so they hire him. And then literally a week later, he Nikita's got this video on his Insta stories of him reaching and grabbing some girl's breast in the back of the car. And, right. and he posts this on social media. And she smacks his hand away and says, you know, stop it. But like, why would you... That, and then I didn't like that Haas was like, we're going to handle this internally. I'm like maybe, and you know that him and Mick Schumacher are not friends. So yeah. I, I really am concerned that Mick Schumacher is going to struggle with his first year in Formula One. And Alex, Mick Schumacher is the son of the greatest, one of the greatest drivers of all time, Michael Schumacher. And it's a big deal that he's on the grid this year because it's the Schumacher name again. Oh, and, wow. You know what I mean? Like it's the, the, this is, if you ever Google Michael Schumacher, like he is, he has such a presence in formula one, you know, for me, I didn't even, I didn't start watching until, you know, till later. So for me, the greatest of all time will always be Lewis. But for those who have been watching formula one for years and years, Michael is that guy. And his son is now, on the F1 grid. It's a huge moment in time, but he is paired with literally the worst person ever. 
So it's going to be this 2021 season is going to be interesting. And when I saw your video about whether Formula One is going to die, it's interesting because, you know, you've got this lack of diversity. You've got this lack of diversity with male and female as well. And you've got this also this kind of I kind of have a feeling that there may be a couple of gay drivers on the grid that won't come out because of possibly an anti-gay sentiment weld on the grid. I've got pretty big suspicions about two and I have massive gaydar. So, (laughs) you know, and I, I feel like a lot of this, if it doesn't get addressed, can lead to the death of F1. That and all of these regulations with money, it is such an expensive sport, but the money is not distributed equitably. That's why you've got these teams that are in the back that they have, they just don't have enough capital to build the car to compete anywhere near even the middle. And so once I started learning about that was very interesting. And I have to tell you, I have to credit Saki at Racing House for that because I had never, I didn't even know a a lot of these inner workings. How did you get involved with Saki and the racing house? So there's basically a massive F1 community. So as soon as I started out, I was messaged by one of the F series girls. So I was messaged by Beth and this was like right after they'd started. So I think they put out one video and I messaged to be like, this is really cool. Like it's so great to see women, a group of women speaking intelligently and eloquently on a topic about formula one. I was like, I really enjoyed it. And they were like, we've got this, creator community so there's a big whatsapp chat with 40 50 creators all formula one creators all motorsport creators and so we were in this massive group and i think i don't even know how me and saki became close because it's obviously so big it's difficult to speak to everyone but there's like smaller groups so I've got a smaller group of people that are around my age and we're really close we had plans to meet up last year corona ruined them so yeah we're gonna we're gonna have to do it again this year at some point but then we have another I'm trying to think how did I actually speak to Saki I actually have no idea Saki is a black man who has his own YouTube channel Alex as well racing house but they're more facts and numbers and stats which is you know great but it's kind of like sometimes boring but when Steph <laughs> is on it depends on your interest I'm sure it's yeah. when Steph is on I definitely tune in oh my biggest fan I think she might be <laughs> yeah <laughs> how do you break race barriers in a sport so here's some questions right how do you break the race barriers in a sport when the sport seems at least when you guys are talking seems to me to be in predominantly white countries Mm -hmm. and there is so much money necessary to go into the sport so how many I mean like how many 11 year old kids of color are exposed to formula one to then want to say oh my god i want to grow up and be a driver like how do you it's really interesting i don't know if there are kids that are out there i hope there are kids that are out there looking and thinking i want to be a part of this or i want to be an engineer in that or whatever but the main issue that i have is that we don't have a race in africa and the thing is for me i'm so well aware that formula one needs you know, money to survive. And there's not necessarily a lot of money in Africa for Formula One to survive with. 
So I understand why they're not there, but I think it would be really important for us to go back to Africa because we did have a race in, I think we raced in Morocco a couple of times and in South Africa for a while, but we haven't been there in 20, 30 years. So it's been a long time and I think we should go back. But yeah, like you're saying, we do race in predominantly white countries and I have a video coming out about this in a couple of weeks about the fact that Formula One isn't really as global as it claims to be. So out of the 20 drivers that there are in the grid, I think it's only, I think 15 out of the 20 are all from Europe. So yeah, it's a massive number that is in Europe and Europe, yeah, it's where the money is and it's where all of the junior karting championships are. So yeah, there's a lot going on in Europe and that's why it's kind of the center of Formula One. But then we've got all the races as well. So we have 20 to 23 races on average and 10, 11, 12 of those races are also in Europe. And it's, well, there's tons more other places. So we don't have a race in the Caribbean. We don't have a, well, we only have one race in South America and it's, you know, a massive continent. And I think that- We have hmm? two, we have Mexico and Brazil. Technically Mexico is North America though. Oh, yeah. So in South America and like the Caribbean, we've only got we've only got Brazil. But my point with South America is just that there's a massive motorsport population there, and it, it's uh. so big. And like Fangio, Argentinian, he for those who don't know about Fangio, he <laughs> was the original Michael Schumacher, Lewis Hamilton, greatest driver of his generation, and he won four world championships, I think. Yeah. Four. Yeah. Four. <laughs> And so he was absolutely great. And Formula One was in Argentina for a while. And then it's not been for a while. So I think it would be great to go back to places like that with a lot of history in motorsport. But we tend to go for the new places. So like the United Arab Emirates, because there's a lot of money there and it's new and shiny and it's, oh, yay, let's go. Whereas there's loads of places that are, you know, really rich in motorsport history that we just don't go to. And we've got tons of Scandinavian drivers that always come. And that would be such a challenging and interesting place to go to and have a race, but we don't have one there. So it's just, I would personally want to see us branch out more, race in Africa, maybe a race in the Caribbean, a couple more races in the Americas, because we've only got four, four races in the Americas. And there's, it's a massive population hub. So I don't know. There's just a lot. It, it, it really irks me. I just would like it to be a lot more global than it is because I just feel sure. like it's so European centered. And yeah, it claims it's a global and it's a world championship, but I'm not seeing Formula One putting its money where its mouth is. So yeah, sort it out, F1. With Formula One trying to become more eco-friendly, traveling to all of these places really makes it hard to become eco-friendly. Do you know what yes. I mean? You're traveling, you're bringing the car. It's a, it, And so I always, I struggle with the idea of wanting to have a race in Miami because Lord, if they have a race in Miami, I don't care what the cost is. That will be You'll the race. Be yeah, because Texas does not thrill me as my, much as Miami does. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. as much as I want it, I also would like to see the sport move more towards an eco-friendly model. And if it means that they just race around Europe to keep the costs and the admissions lower, 
I don't know. I I could be happier with that, but if they would have to come out with a press release saying we're only going to travel now around Europe because we're trying to reduce the greenhouse greenhouse emissions, emissions yeah. greenhouse emissions, and we're trying to you know like it the the needs. I feel like that's what's going to kill motorsport. Yeah. So that was part of the thing that I was talking about in the When Will F1 Die video. And my comparison is Formula E. So Formula E has less races. So it's got like 11, 12, 13 races a year. But they're still global. So I think this year they were supposed to go to Saudi Arabia, China, South Korea, Mexico. So we were supposed to be all over Brazil. I don't know if we were supposed to go to Brazil, but tons of places that we were supposed to go to, but they're completely carbon neutral. And it's because they are really clever with how they move things. So they use shipping mainly and they try and avoid air travel, which is obviously a massive cost for Formula One, like financially and to the environment. And it's with races that are, you know, we've got tons of flyaway races in formula one and i think it would be so much better if we did something where we did all of the americas in one go so then you can like road trip down the americas and then do the whole of europe in one go but this year we currently i think the one that sticks out to me is that we're in azerbaijan and then a week later we're going to canada yeah that's on the other side of the world you could make it a little bit easier. And if you're in Azerbaijan, that's right by Russia, jump up there, you know? Yeah. Whereas they're trying to, you know, jump all the way across the world. And that's where the problem lies with Formula One at the minute. And it's just, they're not focusing on one specific area at a time. It's, oh, we're in Australia. Let's go to the UK next. Now let's go to China. Oh, okay. Back to the USA. Let's do it like that. So that's kind of where the issue with Formula One lies. Yeah. I don't know. They just need to be a lot smarter with when and where they put the races at certain times because Formula E is doing a great job and you know to be a carbon neutral motorsport is not easy and Formula One could achieve that but it needs to make some serious changes in order to you know achieve that goal yeah it's really just so fascinating that there's this entire world that I'm I I don't really know anything about but it's I've never really thought about Formula One versus NASCAR versus any other kind of motorsport it's just been car races and i quite frankly switch the channel usually so it's but i didn't grow up with it i mean it's you do you know you look at what you grow up with or you spark an interest somehow but i find it fascinating that how what's the history of formula one i mean it started in europe didn't it yeah so it started in the uk Yay! So Silverstone is the one, is the track that hosts the Grand Prix in the UK. And that was the one that hosted the first Grand Prix ever in 1950. So we're winning the UK. It's where it's at. (laughs) But yeah, there's a few tracks. So this is an old sport. Wait, since 1950? Yes. Yeah. But that's only kind of when Formula One started. So Formula One unofficially was running for decades before that and that's just kind of when the real stuff started but yeah it's it's been around for ages and I think that's part of the reason why we're struggling so much now because Formula One is such an old sport it's really rooted in its ways Mm -hmm. and that's why we're struggling so much to initiate change because they've always done it the way that they've done it and they've always you know gone to these races where they're going to make loads of money and yeah, 
it's changing, but slowly. So is there innovation in the cars because it's the special Formula One cars? What kind of innovation is happening there? Oh, there's tons. So yeah, we, it, it changes all the time. So I don't know, go look back at the 70s cars. There's, so, there's some really weird ones when they're trying out different you know, innovations and designs. So there's some with like six wheels instead of four. And it's, who thought of that? <laughs> who, whose idea was that? And then we come now and these are the fastest cars that we've got at the minute and they go so, so quickly. And we think it's probably going to be the fastest that they're going to go for a while because we are taking a step back in 2022 in terms of the regulations. And because it's really difficult, like Len, you were saying about the top, the middle and the back teams. It's really difficult for them to keep up with each other and for the okay. current cars to follow each other. So that's why we have a top, middle and a back, because it's so difficult for those cars to, you know, mesh all into one. So the regulations are coming in to ensure that the cars are much more raceable. And to make them raceable, we've got to make them a little less fast as they are now. That doesn't make sense. A little Why, less. Because it's too dangerous? Because it's too dangerous or just it's because? Expensive. It's too expensive oh. for the engine developments. Yeah, because, you know, they, they have new. This is the hybrid era. We're in the middle of the hybrid era. Or we're at the end of the hybrid era, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, the, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how, because they're going to have budget caps and the time that they get to spend in the wind tunnels will change. And those wind tunnels help them with their aerodynamics when they're developing the car. I don't know, Steph, if you saw all the new pictures of the Alpine. Hate it. It's so gross. So the, the, why? The, Wait a minute. Why? Tell us why. Ugly. It's just an ugly looking car. It's yeah. Ugly. So it used to be a bright yellow car, uh, this team, right. bright yellow. And you know what? I'll tell you, I love the bright colors so i'm so sad that raising point i do you know what We're i not like the any bright green. colors there's no bright like, colors exactly on, the pink's on. gone the yellow's gone i don't i honestly don't know how i'm going to be able to tell all these cars apart because currently the alpha tauri the alpha romeo the williams they all, all look right. the same they yes. all look the same <laughs> and i need some differentiation on the grid there when i'm looking at the starts from the overhead i can't tell who's who i can't tell what's what i'm like oh who's made a great start i honestly have no idea Giovinazzi, who who well you can say it's Giovinazzi because he always what gains like four places yeah. in the first lap yeah like, exactly that's his thing <laughs> but that's yeah, his only personality trait oh no jesus <laughs> they really should have gotten rid of him and put Mick in the team, but never mind. Anyway, that was what I thought was going to happen. I was like, for sure, thought yeah. that was going to happen. This whole, the, everything that happened this year was like, what? But I am so looking forward to the Ricardo Norris team. Don't, I'm so excited. That is the, the best pairing. Oh, and they're so funny. And yeah, Ricardo doesn't live far from me when he's here in LA. Oh, go knock on the door. Be like, hi, I'm a fan. Stay six feet away, though. Yes, six feet away. And I'm sure he's with a whole group of his lads. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I think that's why he likes LA. Yeah, I like LA. I'd like to come and visit. Come to LA and visit whenever you want, Steph. We're both I think I think I'll wait for uh, Corona to be done. Doesn't seem like guys are doing too well over there. Not in LA, no. We are but not to be here. fair, we're not really doing very well over here either. So no, you guys are on your third lockdown, aren't you? 
yeah third yeah it's yes i can't i don't understand we're an island and we've managed to buck this up so badly <laughs> no, like New Zealand <laughs> basically has none and exactly there's no reason why great britain couldn't have done the same it's embarrassing yeah. it's embarrassing honestly the same for I, australia yeah well australia though has had a couple of cases here and there my son is like s- still struggling in melbourne a little yeah but I mean, I don't get it either. But I, I just don't get, I don't know. Like it just, it's so weird how certain countries, I guess it's the public health, which really is interesting because the UK has public health and you guys still haven't managed to get it under control. Whereas Australia and New Zealand have public health and they've managed, well, New Zealand has managed to eradicate it really when yeah. you think about it. I don't know. You know, I'm uh, Alex and I will probably get vaccinated in the next month because of our age. Yay! So, I yeah. don't think it'll be the next month. I think you're very hopeful. My doctor told me next month. I sp- I went and saw her the other day. All right. I, I, I hope she, so. I mean, yeah. that would be great. But yeah, yeah she's gonna get it in great. her office. She's getting it in her office to be available to give to her patients. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah. So as soon as they open it up to our age group, I can make an appointment. Perfect. Right. I'll be waiting. I'll be waiting a long time because they've stuck me right at the bottom of the list. So I'll just be staying in my house for the foreseeable future and not going anywhere. Well, I've gotten so used to it. I was like, yeah. And until everybody's vaccinated, I don't know what you do. (laughs) Yeah. Because even if you're vaccinated, you're still not, you still can carry it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So you're still poisoning other people. So I just, we were, I was talking with somebody saying, well, we're just going to have Gen X parties like and play John (laughs) and only invite each other to parties. Cause that's really all we've got. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's crazy. The whole thing is just, I mean, I, I mean, it has made for an interesting year. I, I, as much as like, it's been horrible and we've lost a lot of people, we've lost a lot of people. Too many. Yes. It has made, it, it has, well, it's definitely strengthened my relationship with Alex through this little box. Alex and I have gotten closer and closer. I found use, you know, Steph. I mean, actually yeah. I found you like a couple of years ago, but now I watch you regularly, not a year. It was the beginning of this year, right? That you started your I can't remember. Oh, Everything. July. Yeah. yeah. So it's um, not even been that long. Not even been that long. But it but, feels like it has because no one's had anything to do. <laughs> yes. So it's just like, so it wasn't a couple of years ago, but a couple of years ago, I started listening to some um, podcasts about F1. But so like now, but it seems like there's so many good things that have also come out of us having these, the, these moments, right? I, I yeah. And so- as much as I'm like very upset about the way things happen, they've things have also sort of moved in a direction that might push us to be better people. I mean, the, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, I think the only reason why everything was able to come together so wonderfully was because we were home and there was nothing, there was like, there was nowhere else to go. We, yeah. you know, people didn't have to go, didn't have to think, oh my God, do I, can I go marching? Or do I have to go to work? Right. I agree. I mean, granted, they were like, do I go marching or do I die of coronavirus? But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, you know, the the thing is like the Black Lives Matter movement here in LA, from what I understand, 
they were very conscious of the six feet apart, everybody wearing masks. After the rallies, they would take everybody to the Dodger Stadium to get tested. And, you know, so there was this accountability for the virus amongst the movement. Unlike, you know, the insurrection that happened where they're thinking we're going to get a fifth surge from all of those guys, non-maskers at the Capitol, spreading it amongst everybody. And every day a new video comes out that scares yeah. the absolute bejesus of, out of me of what happened. And, oh yeah, you know, and the stories, like when the AOC finally came out with her story, I was really nervous. Yeah. It's I'm really crazy. nervous now, just full stop for all Democratic lawmakers because... It looks like some of those Republican lawmakers were complicit. Yeah, I know. That in itself, can you imagine if one of them had decided that they wanted to go after the other and told the group where Pelosi or, you know, the AOC or Cori Bush were hiding? So I was, I'm... I, I don't have high hopes for our lawmakers right now. No, it's scary. It's a very scary time. But like I said, you know, a lot, we've learned a lot. I think none of this would have come out. We would have still been hiding under this, oh, racism is sort of happening kind of world. Well, we, would keep, we would be clinging to, it's a post-racial society because Barack Obama was president. There was no place for white people to recede because we were in the pandemic. Like we couldn't recede into saying, oh, we're on your side, you know, or that, you know, calm down. There was none of that because we were in the pandemic and we just had to look at it. And I think that's what changed. I mean, I do think we have the pandemic to thank for the movement forward. Yeah. And we still have so, so far to go. Yep. But But we took that step. We took a step. Yeah, there's no going back. I do think that society has given permission to call people out. I am yeah. not talking cancel culture. I am really just saying calling you out. Yeah, yeah. it's just about no. take, taking accountability. Absolutely. It's not about, you know, ca- canceling. I'm not about that. I'm not about cancel culture. I don't like it. Um, but it's about people taking accountability for their actions. It doesn't matter if you make a mistake. Do you know what? You just have to own it and understand why what you have done is wrong. And that's what it's about. That's what education is about. You can't be educated without making mistakes in any sort of, in any way. That's, I mean, making mistakes is how you learn as well. But I've just been driving forward this idea of accountability and taking responsibility for your actions and taking responsibility for things that you've said. And I feel like a lot of people that I've surrounded myself with now are much more aware of the fact that accountability is a thing that we need to have in all aspects of life. So not even just regarding BLM or the pandemic, it's regarding everything. You have to take responsibility for the things that you do. And yeah, that's what I've been pushing. And I think it's, I think it's really working. How is it over there in England in terms of like racism and, and the the spread of the Black Lives Matter movement over there. So it's really died down, I think, here. It was massive because I live just south of Manchester, which is a pretty diverse city. And so Manchester, 
Birmingham and London are probably the most diverse cities in the UK. And there were massive movements, massive, what do you, not parades, you don't call them parades, what do you, protests, that's it, I was thinking, I was there like, no, it's not a parade, this is not a party, no, there were massive protests in like the centre of all the cities, but it all really died down, so yeah, it's, it's not really happening now, there were, you know, we were tearing down statues of slave owners and you know people heavily involved in all of that and I know I'm at Newcastle University and there was calls for us to rename some of our buildings who were Mm. which were named after you know slave owners and people who were heavily involved in the industry and there was just you know a lot of trying to correct things that were wrong and that things that we just kind of been ignoring so I didn't even realize these buildings were named after those people and you know, now that we are kind of waking up to all of this, it was kind of push, really pushed. But I think it's properly died down here. I think it's much, much bigger in the USA because it's much more of an issue. And I'm not saying it's not an issue in the UK here, but I feel like you, it's a massive problem for you guys. And, you know, everything stemmed from what happened with George Floyd in the USA. And so I think you guys do have it a lot worse than we do and maybe it's just because I am not subject to it and I don't see it all the time because I even though Manchester is really diverse I live in a majority white area and that's where I've grown up so that's all I know but in London I know that you know knife crime is a massive thing and with you guys it's kind of gun crime but here knife Mm. crime that's kind of what it is over here but I don't hear about it because coronavirus has now, you know, taken over everything in the news as well. So while, you know, in June, July, August, Black Lives Matter was massively in the news, it's not anymore. And I think that's kind of an issue. I would really like to get it back to the place where we are constantly talking about it because it needs, it's something that needs to constantly be talked about. Sure. Have you experienced racism in your life growing up in a predominantly white area? Yes. So one that sticks with me, I'll tell you this story. It's really interesting. So I was 10 years old and in my primary school, I think I was genuine primary school. I wonder what that is. That's like elementary school. We we call it primary school here too, though. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. So I was like 10 and we were doing a production of Cinderella. And so I was cast as Cinderella. And then one time we were in the dining hall, we were eating lunch and someone came up to me and they said, no offense, but I've never seen a black Cinderella. You shouldn't be Cinderella. And I was like, at the time, I didn't know how to do it. I just laughed. I just laughed. But people around me were like, what? And then later that day I got called, like the headmaster came and got me out of my class and he was like, we need to talk about this. My parents were informed and it was like an issue. But at the time I just didn't realize that it was bad. And then I look back and there was all of these kind of, all throughout my high school and stuff, there's all these like little things that I never dwelled on and I never thought they they were important. And I just kind of laughed them off because I didn't know how to deal with them. But now especially going to university. So Newcastle, I joined the Afro-Caribbean Society and just kind of connected with tons of people from different backgrounds. I connected with people all over the Caribbean and from Africa as well. And, you know, I kind of found my roots within them. And I realized that none of this stuff that I'd experienced was, you know, isolated. It's not just me. Everyone's experienced some degree of racism. But I know that I am lucky because I am 
mixed race so I am lighter naturally than your typical black person so I know that the stuff that I've experienced as well is on a much lesser scale mm-hmm. than dark skins and I'm so appreciative of the, that fact and maybe that's also be- why I haven't you know been exposed to super harsh stuff like the knife crime in London and sort of that gang activity type thing I've you know all of my experiences have been fairly soft I don't know if you can call them soft yeah but I don't know I'm extremely grateful and I recognize the struggles that we're all going through and it just means that I'm able to sympathize with everyone who's had it harder than me but you know it doesn't discount my own experiences and I'm now as a mixed race person coming to terms with my identity crisis because I've been going through one of those for a while but yeah I'm now coming to terms with you know all of the things that happened in my childhood and you know just kind of putting myself more in touch with my other side. No I think it's important what makes it really sad is there are so many people of color who experience racism in these forms of really small microaggressions. Yeah. And they're little tiny chips away at self-esteem, little tiny chips away at confidence and and your ideas of what beauty might look like, your ideas of what you can do. So it's important to notice them and and become aware of them. I mean, it's I guess it's a testament to the school that they made it a big deal, though, where yeah. it could have just been nothing. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I don't know, because at the time, I don't know, because the the student went like unpunished, nothing kind of happened. They just took me out of my lesson and said, we heard that this was said, are you okay? And informed my parents, but kind of nothing happened with the student. And it was kind of never brought up again. But at the time, obviously, as a 10 year old, I wasn't really, I don't really know what I expected to happen. I didn't think that, I don't know what I expected. But looking back on it, it was just you know, swept under the rug at the end of the day because, you know, I went and I did the performance and stuff, but I never got an apology or do you know what I mean? So it just, nothing happened in the end. So I don't know if you can say that it was, the school was good. I don't think they knew what to do because previously they, you know how you do paintings when you're little. So one time you do paintings, but I said to the teacher, I was like, I'm not painting. You don't have any colors for me to paint my mom. They're all, you know, nudes, they're all whites. And then the next day I come in and that teacher had gone out and bought herself the colors that I would need to paint my mom. So she took that upon herself because the school hadn't provided, you know, uh, the equipment that I needed. So yeah, it's, I don't know, it's difficult. And I think about stuff like that and how normal it, how it has been normalized, but it shouldn't be. And we need to take, this is what I mean about accountability. So stuff like this needs to be taken responsibility for. And these schools need to make sure that they're catering for everyone because And the fact is that what's funny, you're a young woman. So when I listen to this, I'm just so disheartened that just nothing changes. You know, we always think, oh, there's movement forward and then nothing changes. And that's little things change. Little things, Alex, because in my day, that teacher would not have bought. Yeah, that's probably true. So That's probably true. There has been a tiny change. And I know it's, it seems min, minuscule, but it really is. Just hearing that made me feel better. 
Right. Well, even the fact that stuff that you had the voice to say something, because I'm not yeah. really sure that at 10, the average person of color would have been, would have felt free to go to the teacher and say, Hey, there are no paint colors here for me to paint my family. Like, I'm not even sure that a child would have had the voice to do that. So a testament to you, but maybe Lenya, you're right. Like a testament to the era that at least something is changing, but still really sad. And then I agree with what the school letting you down, that they went to make sure that you were okay. But actually the kid wasn't spoken to, made to give an apology because then there's no reckoning for that child. And that's and that, sad yeah. because that's where the change needs to happen, right? Like, right. Cause if they had been taught, told then they, that they won't be the kid to say the N word when they're 17. I, ab- absolutely. And yeah. also that at 10, they might actually just grow to be more open. Like they don't know yeah. what, you know, 10 year olds just say what comes to their mind, what they've observed. And then to have a conversation about it and to say, well, think through that. Like, why are all the fairy tales that you're reading only represented by white people? Why is that true? And have that conversation. That person might become have become very enlightened rather than polarized, you know, and that's a shame because that is definitely a missed opportunity in a big way. And it just makes me sad that we're not really talking about the seventies, you know, that we're talking about what the aughts. I mean, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Was it the nineties, right? The noughties. I'm a noughties baby. I was born in 2000. Oh my God. Wow. I I mean, that's what I mean. This is sad. Wow, to, uh, my son is 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 older than you. <laughs> <laughs> I am a baby. Wow, Lenya well. now, yeah, Lenya's like. <laughs> you started this whole podcast today with calling yourself an old lady. Now it's just really true. <laughs> well, when I say old lady, I mean like I have a more mature per- uh, perspective of what is attractive in a person, right? It's not just about looks, but when these women who were interviewing these drivers, they're flirting with them because of the, but they're only flirting with this one that gets it all the time. You know (laughs) who I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't. Daniel Ricardo. I'm looking him up. He's so lovable though. Oh my God, he is my favorite. Don't, I mean, I, and he is adorable and everything, but he's the one where my gaydar is going whoosh. Well, him and, well, you know, they're not going to listen. Nobody, nobody, and Lewis. Really? I thought you were going to say Nicholas Latifi. But yeah, Nicholas Latifi, but he, he doesn't hardly, he hardly ever, you know, gives oh, he is, he's very good looking. Mm-hmm. I've sent you a picture, Alex. Yes, you have, I know, <laughs> but I don't remember their names. I mean... He's, he's got such a good personality as well. He yeah, is the kind he, of driver that will, if you like Google an interview with him, it will just make you happy. If you yes. like watch any interview with him, he's just such a nice person and he's got the nicest smile. And yes. literally it will make you so happy. And he's he's he has brought a bit of humanity to the sport. If you watch the Drive to Survive series on Netflix, I think Alex, you should just so you can get like a foundation of the sport. Yeah. You'll probably become more interested in it as well. But he, they, they felt feature him a lot because he just 
has that wonderful openness about him. And I think Lando Norris, who's a very young driver from McLaren, he has it as well. He just needs to mature. He's 20. No, he turned 21 or something like this last year. So he's so young. Can I just briefly say the Carlos Sainz-Lando Norris relationship and that puppet video made me cry? I love them. They, really this, these, these are the two drivers who were teamed together last year. And oh, for two years, though, they've been teamed together for two years. Carlos being the older driver, even though he's like, what, 24? The older driver the, of the team and Lando, who was really young. And they developed this friendship that was so beautiful to watch happen. And now Carlos has moved on to Ferrari which you'll regret. Big He's mistake. Moved, yeah, big <laughs> mistake. Moved on to Ferrari. And as a closing, I guess, of the season, he made a video with puppets for Lando of their friendship for the last two years. And it is literally something that would make you cry. That and the video of all the races from Lewis Hamilton from the very beginning to him winning his seventh world title also made me cry. And that moment, his dad was there with this, with his iPad. You could see him. He was at the corner with the iPad, like, you know, filming him going across yeah. the line. And I, I mean, the tears were just flowing down my face with the, the level of pride that this man must have for his son. He worked three jobs yeah. just to make sure that Lewis would be able to race because it's an expensive sport. They were not rich. And usually it's like rich kids like Max Verstappen who, you know, get all the opportunities. But here, Lewis, you know, he had the dream and he made it come true. And I love how when he crossed the line, he said, this is for all the kids out there yeah. who dream the impossible dream. I like had, I w- it was just such a, such an emotional moment. And those two videos from, from the 2020 season will stay with me forever. I mean, mm-hmm. the Carlos Sainz Norris was just because you don't see that. You normally see these two guys always being very competitive. And yeah, they're friendly, but they don't have those kinds of friendships that are just yeah. beautiful like that. I, Carlos I, it, and Lando, I genuinely believe, will continue to be yes. like such good friends forever. Even though they're not, yeah, regardless of what happens, you know, on track, doesn't matter. Yeah. They'll be friends. And I just, I think right now in Formula One, we're seeing such a good era of like friendship yes. stemming from a lot of people. So uh, Max and Daniel's relationship as well. Like I'm not yes. um, a massive fan of Max, but I think yes. that they had such a great relationship. And do you know what? Watching all of the old videos of them together is also really nice because, yes. you know, they battled hard on track. Yes and lots of things happened between them on track (laughs) but then they could come off track and then still you know be friends it's just about leaving the animosity that you have for someone on the track and then being able to separate you know competition which is on the track from friendship which is you know off the track and I think it's really I think with stuff like drive to survive as well it's making us much more aware of the driver's personalities and you know mm-hmm. them as people and this is something that I wanted to get across on my channel as well the fact that the drivers are people yeah. and because I think it's so easy to forget because you know we see them going around in a fast car and with their helmet on all the time it's difficult to remember you know these these people have lives they have family they have friends they have stuff going on off the track and I think it's really important to remember that and I think stuff like drive to survive and you know these little videos 
help us remember and connect with the human beings behind the racing drivers. So that's why that's what I really like about them. Yeah, same. And I think you do a really good job of that. You know, you do a great job of, you. of personalizing them. I think that's why I enjoy the the videos so much. But yeah, Drive to Survive. I mean, I I can't I I can't believe how much I look forward to watching that, you know, like it's just waiting the, for the month. I, have you seen all of the fan videos trying to yeah. do? <laughs> Everybody's just hanging for next season. And it's funny because Drive to Survive, the, what they're showing is the season we've already seen. Exactly. We but already we know so, what's happened. We already know what's happened, but we're so wanting to see the behind the scenes that we don't get when we're watching the, the actual races that Drive to Survive provides us with. I'm dying to see the Russia Grand Prix because there's a curse behind um, Mercedes. Yeah, they were with Mercedes. Yeah, Mercedes and Drive to Survive. Anytime to survive is filming, Mercedes have the worst race ever. Why? Just to ask. It's the curse. It's the curse. <laughs> it's a curse. Last year in, in Germany, in 2019, they had a, a race where they were celebrating 125 years in motorsport. So not just Formula One, but just in motorsport in general. And they had special liveries and everyone dressed up in special costumes. And Netflix, yep. okay, well, we need to showcase this. Let me tell you, it was a wet race <laughs> and slipping and sliding everywhere. So Lewis crashed into the wall. I don't know what Bottas was doing that race. I honestly couldn't even tell you, but Lewis crashed into the wall at one point and had to spend literally a minute stationary in the pits. Honestly, it was not good. He was like set to win the race and it was set to be a one-two, obviously, because that's what we get with Mercedes. It was set to be first and second and it did not happen. So Netflix, every time without fail, day is with Mercedes. Do you know when they were also with Mercedes? The Sakir Grand Prix, when George really? Russell didn't uh, win. I didn't know that. Yep. I didn't know that. So there you go. So that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Sense. Okay. Poor George. I know. Well, you know, if Lewis doesn't <laughs> sign this damn contract. He George. will. He will. George, come on. I can't fathom watching Formula One without having Lewis Hamilton on Either. it. It was so weird when we watched the Sakir Grand Prix and he wasn't he there. Wasn't it's 14 years he's been, 14, 15 years he's been in Formula One and for him to not be there was weird. And he had coronavirus, Alex. He's oh, wow. one of the three drivers that got, or four drivers that got coronavirus during the, uh, and mind you, they had such tight, you know, bubbles in their testing regime. And the first driver was Sergio Perez. The next driver was Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll, which we don't care about. Then I'm so mean to Lance. He's I'm, such a savage, isn't she? I am. She is. so, I am a savage. I am so mean to Lance. I feel like <laughs> out of all the paid drivers on the grid, he is the worst. <gasps> anyway, he's got a bit better. Okay, continue. Has, we digress. He's gotten better, and so there's two. And then was it? It was Lewis after that, right? Yeah, Lewis. And, and now, now we've had... Now we've had two on the off-season get coronavirus. Two. Two of the younger ones. Le yeah, Cor both of them actually Le Sorry. And went Mark. to Dubai. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, so they yeah. both went on holiday. 
to Dubai, oh. you know, where everyone's going on holiday right now to, you know, get away, where all the influencers are going because they think it's cool. Oh, well, that's at least where the British influencers are going. They're all jetting off to Dubai at the minute. And it's just, it's the hot spot for everyone in Europe who wants to go away on holiday. So if you've got money and coronavirus isn't an issue to you, you're going to Dubai at the minute. That's the situation. So and all of these drivers, <laughs> and you're getting coronavirus. So these two drivers went on holiday to Dubai. They've come back and they've both tested positive for for corona because they've not been, you know, abiding by social distancing. They were posting Instagrams. They weren't even wearing masks. So yeah, it's been really disappointing actually. But I, I wish them speedy recoveries. But you know, I I guess they had it coming. Yeah. I was, but I was kind of shocked about Norris. I thought he would be smarter than that. I actually thought both of them because they were, they were so tight during the season. Do you know what I mean? I don't even think Charles saw his girlfriend the whole time. Just to Charles keep- was really bad, actually. I remember him, really? go, he went home after the uh, first race in Austria and he went back to Monaco. Got it. And I was like, why are you going back to Monaco? Like your next race, because we did the double header in Austria. So I was like, okay, well, all you had to do was stay here another week. But why are you going back to Monaco for? You don't need to. So yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's the whole driver's situation and their reactions to COVID have been really disappointing. Well, you know, I found it really interesting that Lewis got COVID, right? Because he was in such a bubble. Yeah, he was in such a bubble and he was constantly posting just him and the dog by himself and how lonely he was, right? Because he's, Lewis is a, a rock star. So people from all over the world, celebrities from all over the world, you know, before coronavirus would come to watch and be in the Mercedes paddock just to, to be in his aura. That's like how much of a rock star Alex he is, you know? And then all of a sudden, uh, now he has to be on his own. And I think he's not used to being on his own. I think he's used to having people always hanging around him. And I felt for him. I truly felt for him, bad for him through this whole time, looking at his little lonely videos with Roscoe and then losing Coco at the beginning of the season as well. He lost one of his dogs at the beginning of the season. And then, you know, it was just... So I'm like, where did he get the virus? Because his family didn't get it. His father doesn't ha- didn't get it. His brother didn't yeah. get it. So he was taking he- all of the precautions yes. necessary. It's it, And that one really hit home for me because you can take all of the precautions that you need to take and you can still be vulnerable. And that's yes. it made me really sad for him because I know that as a driver, he'd been working so hard yep. to keep himself safe and keep himself in the mindset of, you know, I need to work hard. Like I've got a world championship to win. I'm not going to be, you know, taking any risks, taking any liberties. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I really admired Lewis for. I think all of these drivers been saying, stay at home, stay safe. And then they're not practicing what they're preaching. Whereas he yeah. is one of the yeah. guys that was practicing exactly what he was preaching so it was really disappointing and not even disappointing it was really sad that he then had to be subjected to COVID because I I could tell that he'd been doing everything right and you know it just it's sad for everyone because you realize that no you know we're not immune no one's immune and you can do everything right and still get it and you remember how Angela could not get to Bahrain in time because she had to Angela being his physio and she's in her 50s so she's our age Alex she had to quarantine luckily she didn't get it luckily she didn't get it 
I can't, yeah, I can't fathom watching Formula One without seeing the two of them together on the grid. Like, I just can't fathom. They're the, the greatest team. She is, I would love to see a video just about Angela. Yeah, me too. You know, she is a fascinating woman. How she got into this, how does she, how is it that she stays so focused being the only female trainer on the grid? Yeah. And apparently she's worked on a lot of the other drivers as well. I would yeah. love to hear her story. She's got a family. She's fascinating. Yeah, she's got a family. She's a New Zealander. Yeah. Yeah, New uh, Zealanders are living their best lives right now. I wouldn't mind being a New Zealander. <laughs> it's been such a good... I've learned so much. I am going to delve in. You know, part of it is that I don't have TV, you know, so it's hard. I need to do everything through the internet. So Which is fine. That's fine. Drive to survive. Drive, Drive to, survive. to survive will make you fall in love with it. All right. It will do everything that you need. But watch the first season. The first seasons. I, I preferred the first one to the second one, actually. Well, well, we'll definitely put that in the show notes for everybody. And Steph, like, shout out. Let everybody know your YouTube show. Tell us, yeah. tell everybody right now. All about Steph One, everyone. Now, well, not everyone. There's no everyone. Just all about Steph One. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> my bad. I wasn't clear. <laughs> and and the W series. Yeah. Okay. So I am a part of an all female uh, group of motorsport content creators. So there's a few of us, and we've all banded together. We're all individual creators, and we banded together to create F series, which F-series. is a yeah. W series is a racing series which you should all watch. It's uh, all women, yeah, and yeah, you should all watch that. But yeah, F series is another YouTube channel where we kind of come together, the six of us, and just talk about important things to do with motorsport. And yeah, the guys, the girls created it before me, and then they were like, "Yeah, Steph, we, we need you to be in this." So I just jumped on the bandwagon halfway through after they'd set up a loyal fan base. <laughs> Um, but yeah, now I'm fully integrated. We have our own channel. And yeah, it's real. Go check it out. Um, we're all talking about smart and important topics, but then we also do fun challenges and stuff. So yeah, go check that out as well. That's great. This has been fantastic. I And I just love seeing Lenya so happy. I mean, this <laughs> is Lenya's happy place. I love it so much. Steph, thank you so much for coming on. Thank Everyone. you so much for having me. Everyone, I hope you're I hope you listen today. Again, we have a great season. We have a great lineup coming. Everybody listen to Women Bridging the Gap. And you can find us anywhere you, that you download your podcasts. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.